0: Welcome
1: to the Metta Hour Podcast with Sharon Salzberg, where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, visit
2: www.beherenownetwork.com slash Sharon. Enjoy listening. Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and today I'm speaking with a really good friend of mine, actress Daphne Zuniga. Daphne is beloved by generations of moviegoers for her performances in such classic films as Mel Brooks' Spaceballs as Princess Vespa and The Sure Thing, in which she starred opposite John Cusack. And in television, she became familiar to millions of viewers for her role as Jo Beth Reynolds on Melrose Place. Daphne is a longtime meditator. Hey, Daphne, now we can describe you that way. Daphne is a longtime meditator who first came to the practice about 15 years ago. And over the years, we've become really good friends. So I'm so happy to welcome you to the podcast today, Daphne.
1: Oh, Sharon, I'm so happy to be here.
2: <clears throat> we just got oh. to see each other in L.A. just a few days ago, really. So uh, it's especially yeah. delightful to have a chance to catch up again.
1: I know, because so much time goes by, usually, well, you're traveling all over. and Yeah. But, um, and, you know, I actually was looking through some old journals, and indeed it was 2002 wow. was when I started the meditation, reading your first book, Loving Kindness, and then I think it was almost a year later when I did my first retreat with you at Spirit Rock 2003,
2: and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, is, which has been know, immortalized like, in various books of mine.
1: Yes, which was very uh intense experience. But at any rate I was just noting that that yeah, it was kinda of caught me off guard how long ago it was.
2: <laughs> and what what actually brought you to that retreat? How did you start uh getting an interest in meditation? Um
1: Well, I think what happened was there I had this kind of It was like a real. uh, I started to feel. I don't know what the word is. Just bad, (laughs) bad inside. Um, I started to feel um, just all these like very troubled, and I I I went into this period of just sort of surrender into it. I'd been in therapy since the '80s and read a lot of books, and so I had some tools, you know, of Mm -hmm. what to do with these feelings and. So, but this was different, and I just remember literally surrendering into it, like, in my house, like, I have nothing left to give you whatever you are, and I still feel like crap, so I need help, Mm -hmm. something needs to kick in here, and... um, And sure enough, shortly after that, I noticed a book on my bookcase,
3: Mm -hmm. which had
1: been there, but I'd never opened it. And it was like, I saw it, wasn't quite sure. It was from another feeling, not my brain, but some other feeling in me that reached for this book. And I pulled it out and it was called Loving Kindness. Mm -hmm. And I proceeded to, in that sort of place of surrender and weakness, and uh, I... Um, not having an, anything else, uh, you know, to do, really. I went and I started to read that, and I found those journals recently, too. They were kind of in the same era. And mm-hmm. um, I literally took, from what I can tell, a week or two and sort of just nursed myself with your book. And these concepts that you wrote about, wrote about were totally foreign to me. Mm. This whole idea of having equanimity and gentleness towards myself was like this. I was like, I mean, again, like I said, I had done a lot of self-searching and had been in therapy and cried and done a breathing work and all kinds of stuff. But I guess in this time I read it anew and it spoke to me. And I just said, you know, What was so comforting, Sharon, is A, the way that you write is like you're speaking right there, just Mm. right there with you, you know. And But I, again, it's in my journal, I was like lying in bed and reading these words, and some of them I wrote down. Um, But it was like I literally don't have to do anything to feel better about myself. I literally don't need to achieve anything, do anything, come up with anything, figure anything out, define anything, prove myself, prove anything, exactly as I was, a total mess with nowhere to turn to, was exactly how I was, according to you and your writing in the book, was how I was supposed to meet myself and then offer myself loving kindness. Mm. And it just, it was the sweetest sort of nursing. I was being nursed by this mother sort of beautiful, spiritual energy. And that's what I needed. Mm. And, and I think what it was is after so long, you know, I'd been acting since I was 19. And this was, you know, my first part of my career, I did a bunch of movies and I did Malrose Place, which was on for five years. And, you know, I had been striving and achieving for most of my adult life. So, uh, after the show ended and I did a couple of TV movies and, but I really realized that what that cracking open was, was that I, I, there was a deeper place for me to go with myself that had nothing to do with what I had achieved or become or interacted with the outside world. And so that was huge for me. And, and from that, then I started to meditate and read more books and kind of just be gentle with myself. And it was this, this place that I spent a lot of those months kind of just being internal and, you know, it wasn't always easy. In fact, that part was really hard. But what I have found from reading back in these journals is that that process was A a process. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't just come in a sitting and then you try to cling to it. It, it, you know, the next day, maybe it it felt not quite present or, oh no, where did it go? And, but sure enough, I would, I I remember being out, I I wrote that I was out at places and couldn't wait to get home to settle into my bed Mm -hmm. and, and read Mm -hmm. more and be more with just myself. And this new, this new Attitude towards myself that I just couldn't wait. I just loved it so much. It was so new to me. And, and I didn't, hadn't realized that I was identifying so much of myself worth with what I was doing in the outer world.
3: Mm-hmm. I just
1: didn't realize that. Um, and I feel like this part of me sort of probably stayed underground for until it saw the right time to expose itself to me. And then I was there and I have a feeling it's because I wasn't working, so I had that time mm-hmm. to pay that attention because when you're working, you have zero time to pay mm-hmm. attention to what's going on inside. You can't really afford sort of emotional like these these you just kind of like keep it going.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And which is great and amazing experiences, but you know, we're whole beings. And so that was So it was from there that I um, started to read more and and sit. I started to sit on my own um, in my own, in my house. Uh, I remember like up to an hour a day. Mm, I just loved it. It was like, it was like I was available Mm -hmm. and that, and that energy of meditation just was like sucking me in. And I, I, the experience of just, stillness and just experiencing myself, you know, without working, which for me is acting. So I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, taking other people's words and putting life to them and creating, you know, using what I have and who I am, but creating other characters and interacting with people all day long. And, you know, so this experience of just sitting there and of course in the beginning I was terrified that there was nothing there mm. like literally I just thought oh my god there is just nothing worth sitting around and hanging out with me for until mm. unless I can come up with something and so to, it was mind-blowing and heart exploding and amazing to notice that wow just witnessing my breath was It was incredibly self-loving and something I was craving without knowing it because I was – you know, you don't know that you're craving self-love because you're used to what the world's telling you to crave Mm is something else, Mm -hmm. right? So I'd gone from relationship to relationship craving love. I'd job to job, um, whatever to whatever, but nothing was – coming close to what I, the, the satiation and the, and the satisfaction and the bliss that I was feeling in those moments of just being still with myself. And again, I had read your book. I had started reading your other books, um, you know, Heart as White as the World and your Voices of Insight that you edited and other people's books. So I had guide. I, it's like I pulled in these teachers, you know, through it, which I think is important. It was for me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I could have um, hung in there so long day after day, week after week, and had the you know without guidance um but uh so then when I was introduced and brought to you in person i had i thought <laughs> I thought, oh my God, if this is what i'm experiencing without going to a silent retreat.' <laughs> For nine days, then imagine the ecstasy! I'm going to be like out of this (laughs) world. It's going to be amazing. Like I can't wait. Like nine days of silence (laughs) and the beautiful hills and the with these teachers. I just was so excited.
2: So and we know how that evolved, (laughs) as I know. (laughs) Please tell us. We you know how that went. Where did they have you sleep? Some odd place.
1: Well, oh yeah. So I um, I enrolled late, and so your the on-campus housing was all filled, and so I quickly went online and looked in the area, and sure enough, I rented. Uh, I actually, what I found was a cabin, um, a few miles down the road. Um, that was in the backwoods of a house. So it wasn't even mm-hmm. the room in a house. So again, to me, it sounded like, great, I'm going to go do my own Walden Woods. I'm <laughs> going to have such profound insights. Oh, my God, this is just, thank you, universe. This is amazing, right? And so um, now part of what I was bringing to this whole thing was, the some of the things that I was feeling my deep fears was being left out uh because and you know when you when I was sitting and meditating during those months before definitely these feelings of old were coming up but they would pass so when I signed up for your retreat um And was in this cabin, and as I say, I thought it was so great. And, I mean, I remember getting into my car and driving up, you know, from L.A. up to Marin and playing, you know, the Krishnadas music loudly. Mm -hmm. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, wow, my life is just like, I'm so lucky. And so, and I'm even staying in a cabin, so I don't have to have a roommate. I mean, all Mm -hmm. of it in my mind, I was so excited. And then um, I get there go and find my little cabin. It's so cute, skylights and such, but it is a ways back in the woods from the house and I get onto the 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 retreat place and it's just beautiful. And by day 3 mm-hmm. by day 3 because again no distraction, no reading, no writing, no music, no, not even not, no talking to each other, not even any looking at each other, which uh, you can explain that part. (laughs) I I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So when I met with you on our, it was, I think that was probably our first interview, 10 minutes, 10 whole minutes I got with you. Um, after what, three days of waiting. <laughs> um,
2: it's all sounding so appealing. But
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. And then until you guys wrecked it for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, what I was coming up, what was really coming up those first three days, was such deep. I felt so lonely and so alone with you know, there were a hundred and eight a hundred people there, eighty people or something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful hall, but the stuff that was coming up inside was like the stuff I was thought I had conquered, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, the feeling of worthlessness, the feeling of not being you know, of not being good enough to be happy and or to be in a great friendship or, I mean, relationship. I mean, a lot of these old feelings, a lot of memories from my childhood and, you know, my parents divorced when I was six and I had a lot of association with being in a quiet house and lonely. I was, I was lonely, mm-hmm. um, which I think in part is definitely why I sought out the theater department and felt a part of that as family.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, that was all, I mean, I had specific images I hadn't remembered in, since a child of feeling so lonely. And so it was like a shame that was coming up, you know, and a unworthiness, like everyone else around me, they're like having these peaceful experiences. And I'm the one person who's feeling like, Ugh, they let you in here,
3: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> like weird negative thoughts. So when I saw you, I really was worried. Yeah. I mean, I'd read all the books. I knew that you guys weren't really probably bad people, but <laughs> I felt like.
2: Probably. You,
1: so I said to you, um, you guys are just, you know, you have all, all these happy people here. We've all come together, and we're trusting you with our minds and our hearts and our psyches, and I feel like you're brainwashing us. Uh, you know, I mean, you guys could be arrested for this. This is not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. That's the best line.
1: Yeah. Well, I really <clears throat> was desperate. I, I knew I had 10 minutes with you and then I had to go back into the hell of my abyss. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I, I just uh, and then, you know, the fact that every night. You guys had Dharma I mean I would stay for Dharma talks, but I had to leave the campus with my flashlight get in <laughs> my car go drive off into the woods that's because that scary that's
2: little was cabin there. like
1: my little cabin so the uh, loneliness was just so enhanced and and then my story from that I had added on to it was that I was alone because I didn't deserve to be a part of the group and that mm-hmm. kept playing itself out by the way um, but um, it was so perfect, of course, in hindsight, because there's always a day eight, isn't there?
3: Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> which is which is just heaven. Cause, because sitting through all that, what I've learned and why I've gone back, because, you know, of course, you know, I went back and back and back year after year. Because I've learned that if you stay there to, with it, like a mother like a caring Mm -hmm. mother watches her child and holds her child as she suffers, as the child is suffering. That's what I was creating Mm -hmm. and cultivating Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. myself. And there is nothing, nothing out in the world that could have given me that. And once I had that and, and kept, It got stronger. I could be in any situation out in the world, and I was in different situations out in the world. And I had a sense of worth because I had sat through those dark, dark, dark Mm -hmm. nights. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember going to sleep one night. I think I wrote this part in your book, Real Love, that i went to sleep crying one night literally my body felt like it was that 6 year old and i rolled over into the into the wall where the mattress meets the wall there's a little space and when i was little i used to do that cuz my parents were fighting and i would try to make myself invisible and i just remember on this retreat that like the depth of my despair i was rolling mm-hmm. back into that space and just sobbed and But I was conscious, I was witnessing Mm -hmm. it, I was Mm -hmm. allowing it, and there was some part of me that knew this was the right thing to do, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: you know, and that part of me, that other part of me, that awareness is what the meditation, you know, I'd love to hear, Mm -hmm. you know, but you said to me, I remember, you pushed the Kleenex across the desk to me and said it's Um, it's good it's coming up here because it's going to come up. So it's good that it's coming up here. And you just handed me the Kleenex, like, go ahead and use it because I was crying in your office. And then you said, you know, you're building a foundation. Mm -hmm. It's like a house. And what you're doing here is building the foundation. And what you seem to have done before is you, you built, like, the attic, you were in the attic of those right. experiences, which is great, and you had all those incredible experiences, but now you're building a foundation to the house, which was so true.
2: It's really a fantastic description. I mean, I should say for those people who've never done a retreat and may never now, um, you know, there's <laughs> it, it, it no particular uh, formula to how one's experience is going to go, but at some point, sooner or later, Uh, usually some more difficult material comes up because there's a reason we've spent a long time avoiding it. Uh, But that doesn't mean we're not strong enough to be with it. And we actually are. And so the more we cultivate a kind of balanced awareness, the more we can open to everything. And it's not just painful things that we often have difficulty opening to. Many people would describe themselves as uh, being kind of squeamish about pleasure and joy and delight and you know, we distract ourselves because we think we don't deserve it, or um, you know, there's a lot of um, complicated ways we relate to the joys in our lives, the sorrows in our lives, and it's all conditioning. It's just habit. It's a, it's not something that's like a personal weakness or or a fault. It's it's just habit, and so uh, we get a chance to see those habits and make new habits, so we have a whole other way of relating to the delightful, wonderful, joyous things that come up because we can actually be present with them and receive them. And, and with the painful, difficult, um, distressing things that come up, you know, internally or externally in life, we have other tools. We have compassion for ourselves instead of judgment or blame. And we have an understanding that, you know, it's not my fault. This This came up. This is part of life's experience. And it's not just me. You know, we mm-hmm. have such a habit of isolating ourselves and 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 feeling, oh, it is just me and it's going to be here forever. Well, neither of those is true. It's not forever. And it's never just us. And so, uh, you know, those difficult experiences can actually bring us closer to one another because mm-hmm. we see how vulnerable everybody is and, and we mm-hmm. want to care um, in a different way. So, uh, you yeah. know, and then there are lots of times just long stretches of boredom, you know, where Nothing, yeah. nothing particularly delightful or difficult is coming up, and uh, you never quite know what it's going to be. But um, Daph, I have a question because uh, in the in the West, uh, what I've heard, you know, from people who are artists of different kinds, is that um, you know there's there's a great belief that creativity comes from kind of torment or pain. And so I'm sure all those years, you know, you were feeding off of the personal pain you'd felt as a child and all of that for your art, for your creation. Mm. Uh, in In the East, there's more of a tradition of great art, not only coming from something like grief, but also coming from balance and understanding and insight. And I've had many artists come to me and say, I don't know if I want to get into this stuff because, you know, I'll get sort of dull and smooth and complacent and... Uh, I won't be able to make art anymore. Um, yeah, and it's a very interesting kind of cultural conditioning that we can have here.
1: I know it's. Um, I too heard that you know, and being you know, starting in this business making movies, and um, at when I was nineteen or twenty, uh, you know, and being surrounded by artists, I saw it. I saw that, and so of course, speaking of conditioning, you know, you're like, oh, okay, so it's good. It's okay. But, um, you know, yes, you use your these sort of peak moments of your life that you remember, like sad, really sad moments or and over and over, in fact. And then as one acting teacher said, oh, I know it was Sally Fields that on in an interview I heard once. And she said, you know, at one point, grandma under the tractor just doesn't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what the meditation, in fact, gives you, and what I think, you know, it sounds like the East honors, because they understand it probably more, the experience of meditation is that it's that it frees you. And I mean, that first experience I had of that, you know, like I say, by, by day seven, I was in a whole other place, I think, because I had faced all those demons mm-hmm. or things that that and sat through it that I, they just they disappeared. They Uh were now memories that I cherish, that I uh, remember, you know, in with compassion, like, Uh oh, that helped make who I am, as opposed to like, oh, God, that part of me. So that happened organically, which, which is, you know, that process. And, and then also, when I left there, I remember the last day was, so oh, I'd never experienced this before And maybe have once since Well, because I have done more retreats So a, a little bit But but that was really intense When I stood there at the end The, the people were leaving the, the hall was being cleared and cleaned up And I stood there And just was with such gratitude And just feeling such grace Of mm-hmm. there I was in the trees, the oak trees And suddenly... Like I felt a shift of awareness and I couldn't even sense my body, where my body ended anymore. And I just felt like in me was everything I was looking at, the consciousness, the awareness of everything. It was mind-blowing. And and I was, ah, oh, and then I just thought, like I didn't want to move. Mm-hmm. And then I remembered a lot of the rules of you know, of meditation is to you know, don't cling to it, don't grasp it, even though when it feels so good and like <laughs> this is the nirvana, you're this is it, I reached it, and but I was like a good little meditator, and you know, don't grasp it, just mm-hmm. be here, you know, because everything's going to change, everything's going to go, it's okay, and so I remember when I found you, I I went through the hall and you were leaving, and I and I told you. I said, I think something really important just happened, and and you said something like, "Yeah, that sounds really, that sounds great." Actually, is what you said. And when I left that, this is, is getting back to your point, by the way. When I left that retreat, the main thing that gave me a wider accessibility to my own creativity was fearlessness. Mm-hmm. And my fearlessness only came to me because I went through what I went through. Started out being terrified, sat through it, experienced all these amazing experiences, had all these insights. And, and I was like, I left there going like, nothing, Hollywood doesn't have a chance of scaring me now. Like <laughs> not a shot in hell because of what uh-huh. I experienced here. And so I had all this energy and creativity. That's when I you know, started writing and I wrote those couple articles for Oprah Magazine. Mm
3: -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. Um, And I uh, got a job right away and I remember being in the office just being so clear and fearless. You know, in fact, the part was a Playboy Bunny. And (laughs) I grew up with this feminist mother Uh who, like, didn't even have makeup. Never mind. I mean, so... I had to get over my, these old stories and judgments I had about being, playing a playboy bunny and the meditation. So it's not like a balance. It gave me balance, but it also gave me a fearlessness to accept it all. Mm -hmm. And that in that realm that you're accepting and that I now see the world in with, with little or. Judgment, I just see it as is as, as as a playboy bunny. what's there to judge? That was a woman who had a life, and mm-hmm. so I played her, and they loved it, and I got the part like right away on the spot. I couldn't believe it they couldn't
3: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: and so that's what um gave me much more uh creativity and energy for it was that I didn't realize how much I judged myself mm-hmm. and those limits, the stories of my past you know created a space in which i could create and that space opened wide up wide open after that so uh, after that experience i knew that creativity didn't have to do with just one part of my psyche the suffering and mm-hmm. this not and in and the mm-hmm. shadow side i knew that you know that would provide if i dug in more that would provide some and also what you were talking about that real joy and bliss and that would provide some Mm -hmm. too and everything in between um and i and and since i have had a uh you know been meditating since i i've even if i just get a little one in before i you know work on something if i do it every day or you know it's cause and effect Mm -hmm. you know you get Mm -hmm. back what you put in like if I can't sit just five minutes a day and expect those experiences. (laughs)
2: Okay, right. right.
1: But but I've noticed that um, if there's less judgment that I have on myself and more comes up and I welcome it, then I have more to give.
2: That's fantastic. I'm really glad you brought up fearlessness because in in thinking about this issue about does great creativity uh, need to come from a place of pain or... Uh, couldn't it be coming from these other places? Um, I came upon this quotation from me, which says, Mm. um, I think what we actually want and rely on from those in creative roles is courage, not their misery. The courage to break through boundaries, to see things differently, the daring to not conform. So that's why I consider art actually revolutionary. And I realized that I was limited as I thought about, you know, this time in our world and about social action and I was kind of thinking about social action as protesting or marching, and, and the whole time I was overlooking art. But when I really you know, thought about it much more deeply, I consider art and, and creation one of the most revolutionary things that can happen in this world.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel, you know... Oh. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I feel... I, I totally... Um, feel that too and i and i've i don't know growing up as an activist i grew up in 1962 in berkeley so it's kind of like right at the hot spot of the oh, yeah. entire country <laughs> so um i was brought to these protest marches and um you know right in it i mean our parents were all smoking pot that's why i think i never really took to it cuz <laughs> i don't know <laughs> so parental um, and, you know, <laughs> So, oh my God! They're doing it. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely, uh, there was a generation of us who, or at least some friends of mine, I should say, that, you know, grew up sort of the parents to our child's parents. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Today they were very young. But at any rate, I I feel like, so I've I've always had this uh, importance put on activism and like speaking up to, and challenging and speaking up to authority and, not going to sleep, not, you know, going Mm -hmm. to sleep. And, um, and then as I, and so I've continued to do that throughout my whole life, being involved for sure. Um, but again, I feel like the meditation, a personal practice and, and, and what you do inside will be brought to the outside. So if I really do go through face my personal stuff if we all of us really deal with what's in there it then how we express it will be not just one way
3: mm-hmm. not
1: just a march not just and then we think we're done or not just an email or it it connects you to your your passion your visceral reaction to what's the causes, mm-hmm. to what's happening mm-hmm. and that's you know, the other reason I, never, I didn't meditate for a long time before I did, before I fell to my knees mm-hmm. <laughs> pleading for help, um, uh, was because I did think it was way too calm a, a thing to do for me, being this
3: mm-hmm.
1: actress, and I was very into intense feelings. All my relationships up to then were filled with a lot of drama, and that's how I felt alive, and, mm-hmm. you know, so... Sitting on a pillow and not doing anything with your eyes shut just seemed like it couldn't handle me. Great. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I know, I'm sure a lot of people think that, like, what possibly, what, I'm just going to sit there and keep the thoughts away, Yeah. not think. Which, you know, as you know, and I found out, oh, my God, that's not even, what's going on on the outside isn't even close to what's happening. It's so full inside, whether it's bliss and... Uh, these amazing, delicious feelings or it's fear and, Mm -hmm. you know, a tear falls down your face or it's, it all just comes and goes. There's so much going on inside of us. And so I feel like the more that we as a culture really are willing to go in and not being sucked out by all these distractions, then we can bring that to the causes that as social activism, that as our art. I mean, Otherwise, it becomes very limited, which I think you can see. Mm-hmm. You can see evidence of that in our, you know, at least in my industry. I mean, there are very few interesting art films because all the money is going to the big ones. It's remakes of comic books and such, you know, mm-hmm. and violence. So much violence
2: everywhere. It's true. Like um, Another friend is Dan Harris, who's at ABC... Uh, mm-hmm. news anchor, and, and uh, when he became interested in meditation, um, which he wrote about in his book, uh, his first book, 10% Happier, um, he, he told me that he used to read my first book called Loving Kindness on the New York City subway, and he was so mm. embarrassed to be seen reading a book called Loving Kindness that he used to cover the cover. And first I thought, oh, he— did it with his fingers, you know, he did it with his hands, he hid the title. Then I looked at the print on the title, and it was pretty big print. I thought, oh, God, he's probably really covering the cover. And I thought, what an interesting thing to be embarrassed about, because you could sit on that subway reading a book called, like, Bomb Them to Smithereens, or, you know... (laughs) Right, it's a dog eat dog world, or right. hate everybody, you know. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't even think, oh, that's <laughs> embarrassing, you know. It's like, right. Oh, but loving kindness, oh, it makes my stomach feel really squeamish, like.
1: Yeah, absolutely, especially for a man, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I'm excited about where we are now, um, you know, as a country. Mm-hmm. I mean, excited is maybe premature. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I should say, I cringe a lot. I don't watch the news um I mean, but I am on Twitter, so I see it anyway <laughs> and um but what I'm excited for is like you know, going back to the um llama toran yeah. uh her new book, Wisdom Rising is about the feminine, mm-hmm. which we all have, of course, and so and there's there's more evidence of that um and it has come out in the whole you know me too movement mm-hmm. and in the women's march the largest march in the history of the planet with not one act of violence hello um you know so i just feel like in this time to come organically it's in as far you know As far as evolution goes, we're going to, it will become, it will come, uh, what am I trying to say, like more culturally accepted. But at first it seems to have shown its face as like, oh, it's, you know, us versus them, like Mm -hmm. women versus men or or something. But it's not. It's it's, you're feminine and you're masculine. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've created a lot in the world. I've created a career for myself. I've created a life for myself. That took a very masculine aspect of myself to do stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. and then the feminine as well. And so I just hope for men to accept and to embrace and to get to know that, you know, the more feminine side of themselves. So that feminine, that wisdom rising that comes from the feminine energy is what we all need that combined with the masculine. And so Um, you know, I didn't realize until this movement recently, how much I, I too had been conditioned and, Mm -hmm. you know, and the Me Too movement, how much, especially my industry, the movies, you know, how, what I had experienced and I considered, consider myself very lucky for sure. But there definitely are moments in there on where, wow, oh, I had always seen it as just Not only is it male sort of top heavy, but it's also, there's this energy of, um, there's a paternal energy that, and so for a male energy to be sort of the boss, it, for that to work, the women in the situation, the woman or women have to be infantilized. They have to be childlike.
3: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have
1: to ask permission to, you have to please. So It's, um, you know, I I experienced that a lot and it's, you know, it's changing and it's, it's exciting, but it's also sort of, I got to say, like unknown for the woman as well. Like, how do I, how do, how am I now in this new collusion, in this new relationship? Um, but I don't know how I am, but let's see one foot forward, one breath Mm -hmm. at a time, one choice at a time, one interaction at a time. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think if we all just are willing to do that, you know, same with men. Okay. Well, what I can't, I can't like compliment anybody anymore. No, that's not what anybody is saying, but one choice at a time feel into yourself. Is just, You know, and then make the wise choice. That's Mm -hmm. tapping into your feminine, actually.
2: I mean, I tell a story in uh, Real Love, my most recent book. I'm trying to Mm school myself, not to say my last book, because I think there's more coming down the pike, but my most recent Mm -hmm. book, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, which is sort of, uh, in a way, it's it's a praise of balance, even though that's a a very dull word in a lot of ways. It's... um, Some sense of seeing where we're out of whack and moving toward greater harmony. So, it started with this man friend of mine telling me that he felt uh, he was he was moving more toward real love in his marriage because, uh, in a way, he was moving off the seat of privilege. Like, thinking you know some things his wife wanted to do that weren't really uh, high on his list. But you know he said it's not all about me actually. You know, so it was learning generosity and, and, uh, not being so self-centered and almost not in contrast, but a different, a very different move toward balance was the story that this friend of mine told, um, where she said she's, she's a friend, uh, she died not too long ago, but she outlived her cancer prognosis by literally, I think for like 40 years. And, uh, she said that when she was first diagnosed, she just looked at everything in her life, every element of her life. And and one of the things she looked at was her marriage. And she said that I was the kind of person who would be, I'd be sitting in the car with my husband boiling hot. And the most I could bring myself to say was, are you warm, dear? And she said mm-hmm. that changed. You know, so there, this man and <laughs> this woman were almost like moving in opposite directions. You know, Mm -hmm. he not insisting on his way and she actually giving voice to what she wanted and who she was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's some movement, you know, for each of us. And you were actually present uh, uh, in the household where another story I tell in the book where uh, it's sort of everyone's heavily disguised. Um, So I have to think how I actually told it where this young woman was crying because her Mm. fiancé was – kind of very verbally abusive to her in this restaurant when she wanted something Mm -hmm. uh, not on the menu ordered and um thinking uh I think quite wisely she had to break her engagement and uh, um and she had so much self-possession and understanding for someone as young as she was and there was a, a psychotherapist in the room whom I'd never met before um I think you hadn't either and and she said, I'm going to give you one word, and that is mutuality.
1: Yeah.
3: You know,
2: think about that and, and uh, come to a different sense of whether something's working or not. You know, it can't all be one-sided.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because um, we think we want something, right, like in a relationship. But... There's what we want, but we but what I've discovered is that maybe we haven't quite grown into that scenario yet. Mm-hmm. So like you it, it like you were it's uncomfortable to be at least it was for me, I'll speak for myself, you know, uncomfortable to be so mutual. Mm-hmm. I because of my imprinting and my past had chose men who were like I like to say they were looking the other way Mm
3: -hmm, or they mm -hmm. were
1: unavailable in some way or another. And even though it was painful, it was so freaking familiar Mm -hmm. that I associated love with reaching out towards someone who was facing another way energetically or
0: physically Mm -hmm, or whatever. mm -hmm.
1: And so whenever that person, what I noticed was whenever that person turned around to face me and said, I'm here. I'm here. I mean, I backed up against a wall. Like, wait, what? What, what, what is? It, what do I do now? I I had no idea how to be in a relationship where we were facing each other, mm-hmm. and I was terrified. And so, of course, you know, and I've discovered some of this in the books that I've my not my journal journals that I was looking at recently. And um, uh, you know, I had to. Even those, when someone's gazing at you, saying, "Okay, I am here. I'm what you say you want. You know, I'm not going anywhere." Oh my gosh! It rubs right up against your own um, boundaries there, your fear. Mm-hmm. And so it—that's where the—that's where you have to. That's where meditation actually has really helped me. Like, okay, breathe through it. But you want to change the shape
3: of you. Mm-hmm. You want to change mm-hmm. the
1: shape of your habits, I should say.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's taken a long time to get into something that is very mutual and very mutually respected, Mm -hmm. respectful that I'm in now and be so comfortable in it and trusting. Mm -hmm. So, again, you know, it takes time. It's all a process. You can't just, this is a process, a national process, a worldwide process that we're all in, as well as, you know our personal relationships, but don't lose faith and don't. Another book that Sharon saw wrote, <laughs> by the way.
2: <laughs> and I'm thinking maybe your journals should be made into a book. What do you think?
1: Oh my gosh!
3: Maybe not. I got not. so
1: sucked <laughs> in reading it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know it's so funny because as an actor, you're you're you you're supposed to. Pour, I do pour myself like the most vulnerable parts of myself into a part but that's because there's someone else's words great right. and so people only get a peek at me the true me and they get to guess is that really her, is really not and i get to make something really real but uh, it's funny because now i've been recently wondering like i've just been recently noticing that actually like wait, I don't really want people in there, do I?
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because
1: as an actor, that you you, you, you you pick and choose how much you reveal, you know. And uh, so that's what I actually admire. And about going back to art, like, an, uh, someone who makes music or someone who writes, mm-hmm. especially nonfiction, or someone who paints um, or designs. I mean that's all a totally direct expression of you from your heart. And if mm-hmm. it's criticized, then, because I have a fear of criticism for sure. Um, but again, the business that I chose, that's all people do. I get yeah, really you do as an artist, you know, <laughs> literally critiques of what you've just done. But, and it, but artists get that too, and, and authors get that too. But, you know, up until now, it's been like someone else writing it. So I took a writing class this, last, this year, and that's what I noticed, like, wow, I'm really afraid to read this in front of people. Like, this isn't somebody else's words. This is mine.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's been a slow process of, you know, figuring out what, what I do want to share and, what, and, and taking care of myself and not sharing
3: mm-hmm.
1: what I don't want to share. Um, it's, it's interesting.
2: It's very interesting. Well, I just want to, before we uh, have to stop, I want to ask you about some of the work you've been doing in the environmental community, Um, because Mm. I know it's, you know, really maybe if we've, uh, one of the great themes of, you know, of this conversation is connection, connecting differently to ourselves, connecting differently to one another, and, uh, you know, the extension of that is connecting differently to the world, including the environmental world, the the planet that we are on. Um, yeah. So you were a founding board member of River LA, a nonprofit mm-hmm. working to revitalize the Los Angeles River. Um, can you just speak a little bit about that?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, about eight years ago, I had done other, been involved with other environmental groups before then that starting way back in the early uh, 90s um, was the first organization, um, that I was on the board of. And, um, you know, I've had a really close connection with the earth and with nature. Cause when I was 14, my mother moved us to Vermont. So literally my backyard was the woods. And, um, so my playtime was in there after school and, you know, driving to and from, we lived in a tiny town. And so I was very close to nature and the weather and, um, Processed a lot of what you, teenage angst in in nature, mm-hmm. and so it became very, it became very, very connected to it. And we camped a lot as a kid, so I've always seen it as offering it, like has offered me solace. It offered me, mm-hmm. it matched my moods. If I were, you know, and so when I got involved with the environment um, here in LA, and and and. Also, by being an actor, you know, that you're asked to do things and speak up mm-hmm. and speak out and be a part of things. So I was happy to because, I, you know, the, the earth, not only are we on the earth, that's the most important connection I think there is really, which for me has come from, in addition to my background, it came from that meditation, those meditation retreats, but living staying in that go back to the cabin for a second i remember after feeling so desolate so so sad but having come through so much there i would i woke up and there was a deer out of the mm. the the window and little birds and you know when you're when you meditate a lot everything looks so amazing and so full you know your eyes just don't like glance over a tree you get You see the tree. You see what's going on in it. You see how the light is in the bird. And there was this little bird, and I made a vow to that bird. I said, I'm going to do what I can for you because you're you're just so innocent. Mm. You're so innocent. And it was kind of like the way that I was newly relating to myself. I was innocent. I wasn't to blame for these feelings. And so this bird and and nature really is innocent. And so that's why that connection made from this meditation practice, that's an example of how it has direct. So I came back and I was, um, you know, got involved in different organizations and then, um, I had asked the mayor, our previous mayor, Villaragosa, to lunch because <laughs> I wanted to get involved with environmental justice, mm-hmm. uh, the poor neighborhoods of any city where all the you know, factories are and the, the horrible air and water quality. So I guess it was maybe within the year, a year later, he asked me to be on the board of a new organization, nonprofit, to bring the LA River back, which is really long it's mm-hmm. fifty one miles mm. um, long, and I was on the board for eight years and has made we've made great progress. Um, it grew from a tiny little organization meeting in back rooms and various city buildings to um, we have our own office, and the board has really grown and um, recently a couple of years ago, Frank Geary came on board to help. Um, do a water study Mm -hmm. of the river because a huge important part of it is going to be reclamation. So it's not just about making Mm -hmm. a river beautiful. We want to open up, you know, the LA River is just a cement channel. So we want to open, take some of the cement out, bring the water in from the water table underneath, which will bring the water level up. We want to have open spaces for the different neighborhoods that run alongside of it and and make biking, connect biking all the way down. Mm. So we want to get people in L.A. out of the concrete jungle that we all live in and bring more outdoor space And because it just adds to all of our quality of life. Um, so that's been really interesting. I just told them that I probably want to move to the advisory board,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, so I'll still be involved, but um, not at all the meetings.
3: Mm. They're, they're
1: so... They're so um they're they have such a great board right now, and they're doing they're just doing so many amazing things um but I wanted to pull back and just focus back on my my stuff, you know I'm mm-hmm. gonna start directing and all that, and I just wanted to really focus on that but um yeah
0: yeah it was like, very I think so the, the
1: thing that people really forget is that not only are we on this planet, but we actually are of mm-hmm. we are of this earth mm-hmm. like there's nothing in us, our bodies that isn't didn't come from this earth mm-hmm. nothing so we are biology we are you know that's a tree that's a mountain this is a body but we're all the same mm-hmm. stuff. So as we're seeing you know, you let the planet go, there we go too, our health, the the health crises that are going on and so that's that's to me like um kind of what tying it back to meditation again, what I learned in meditation is that everything really is connected and it's the stories that we add on that separate little walls and little mm-hmm little cubicles of definition, and we decide in our minds this, this, and that, and that separate, and it's not. Well, it's the same with us, with us and, the, and the planet. We're all,
2: it's connected. Wow, that's beautiful. And, that's great. Yeah. And on that yeah. note, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, that's really wonderful. Um, thank, thank you so you, much Sharon. for speaking with me today. It's such a fun way to spend time with you.
1: Ah. I love talking about this. You know, it changed my life, you know, yeah, and I yeah. and I don't know, should we continue to focus on the day four, which was such hell for me, but
3: really
1: <laughs> the outcome was that I went back and back and back, I think for five or six years and yeah. just, I just can't get enough of it. So it changed my life.
2: That's it fantastic. changed my life. Well, thank you. For the better. So thank you. for all you listeners out there, if you'd like to check out some of Daphne's work, you can visit her website at www. DaphneZuniga.Green, that's D-A-P-H-N-E-Z-U-N-I-G-A.Green. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening. For more information about Sharon's many offerings and her teaching schedule, please visit her website
2: at SharonSalsburg.com.